Schlepping Up to Boston is written and produced by Boston Latin School senior Lev Sugarman Brozan. Production of this podcast is made possible by the Senior Capstone Research Program at Boston Latin School, supported by Sydney and Deanna Wolk and their family. With the institutional boom that the Jewish community encountered during the last half of the 20th century, there was a significant change in Jewish practices. The way in which many Jews practiced their religion was changing. Judaism was still highly valued, but it now had to become compatible with a more fast-paced lifestyle. The origins of the reform movement can be traced all the way back to the late 18th century, but the movement began to gain real traction during the 1970s. As Jews increasingly entered positions in the professions and in education, adherence to the more strict and rigid forms of Judaism dropped, replaced by more adaptable and flexible practices. My grandfather describes his experiences going to Hebrew school as a child. I went to Hebrew school. Okay. And I was at Hebrew school for, until I was 10, 11, and 12, until I was 13 and I was by mitzvah. So I went to Hebrew school uh, at, a, at a synagogue on... Uh, off of Shirley Avenue, it wasn't Walnut Street, but I'm not, there were two synagogues. One was Orthodox, one was Conservative. I went to the Conservative yeah. one, and uh, I went to Hebrew school there, and I would leave school, I would take the bus, or I'd walk, depending on the day, and uh, get off, and I would be in Hebrew school for 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Okay. And I'd walk from Hebrew school to my Bobby's house, uh, slash Uncle Bonnie's house, because my parents are already living in North Revere, and um, I would have dinner with them. Uh, and um, So this was, what, three, four times a week, something like four that? Four times a week. Oh, wow. Sun- uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Friday, wow. of course, not off. Yeah, Saturday, Shabbat, off. Yeah. Sunday, um, they would have like a Sunday school Hebrew thing that my dad would drive me to if I went. Uh, sometimes I didn't go, but I would say uh, if, there were, if, if it was every Sunday I went, Two to four, two to three mm-hmm. times a month. I I enjoyed it. Uh, I think uh, I enjoyed all the things we did revolving around that. But I w- when I finished Hebrew school and I had my bar mitzvah, I never went back. Never, you didn't I want anything to, to do with it. Never went back. Okay. Um, I didn't want any more of it. You, you know. Just, you didn't. You, did you like Hebrew school? Or you didn't. I didn't dislike it, but I disliked going to Hebrew school four days a week. Uh, every day after school. Yeah, yeah. that's and a lot. was out, yeah. my days started at eight in the morning Jeez. and didn't finish till five at night. Five and, you know, yeah. two hours of that was in Hebrew school, yeah. you know. My grandfather's experiences seemed to be similar to those of many. I remember that the last thing I wanted to do on a Tuesday night after baseball practice was go all the way to Newton for Hebrew school. It wasn't that I didn't like Hebrew school itself, but the fact that I simply didn't want to make the time for it. And this seems to be the experience of many Jewish people, even today. It's becoming increasingly more difficult to balance religion and modern life. I asked Professor Jonathan Sarna of Brandeis University whether the Jewish institutional boom was necessarily coupled with a transition to secularism. Oh, there's no question. that that happens, um, and it's really encouraged by um, Boston Latin School and Harvard. There is a sense, we'll let you move up, but you've got to slough off a lot of aspects of 
Jewish distinctiveness. Um, and that that would kind of be the, the deal. There were people who insisted uh, that's not what America says, uh, you know, and they would, um, and as time goes on, you have uh, figures who insist I can be religious and, you know, yet be modern or be here. I asked Professor Saul Gittleman of Tufts University the same question. Do you think the transition to education and working in college and the, the institutional development that occurred was necessarily coupled with a transition to secularism? Partly, uh, partly certainly a, a transition to a different kind of religiosity. I mean, Reform Judaism made a big uh, change in the Jews' attitude. A lot of them converted. I mean, August Belmont became an Episcopalian in a heartbeat. Uh, and a whole bunch of those families. I mean, his name was Schoenberg, Belmont. He changed his name. Uh, and a, a lot of the German Jews did that. And then we got, you know, we got less religious. Some religiosity stayed there, but the scientific research, open-mindedness, a uh, different kind of skepticism uh, that came in. A lot more Spinoza than uh, the Baal Shem Tov. Another factor that affected this transition was the high emphasis that was placed on education by many Jewish families. Because of this emphasis, many young Jewish students placed their education before their religion, something that, as Professor Sarna argues, was encouraged. Professor Sarna spoke more on the educational opportunities that were integral to the formation of a modern American Jewish identity. What makes Boston very exciting for a lot of young Jews is precisely the educational opportunities that are available. Uh, one need only read, admittedly, a kind of gushing book by Mary Anton to realize what it meant that, wow, my sons can get free education, even my daughter. And that sounds terribly sexist, but in a European community where it was expensive to get education, if you could scrape the money together, you know, uh, you probably privileged your sons. Uh, in Boston, it was free. And Mary Anton Getz, who is very smart, uh, gets that free education. And education is very much prized. And you can really see how Jews begin to move into your own school, Boston Latin, and how proud they are and how hard they work. And there was a real ideology uh, at Boston Latin that, uh, you know, it was all about merit. And uh, now we might argue in retrospect uh, uh, that wasn't the case. And uh, there was, uh, you know, institutional factors and the like. But they believed deeply that it was 
all about merit, and they could point to people, uh, you know, who had come very poor, had gone through the school system, and um, uh, now had fabulous position. Throughout the past 30 years, nearly all aspects of our society have changed significantly. Believe it or not, 30 years ago was the year 1992. To put us in perspective, here are some things that happened in 1992. The IBM Simon, widely considered to be the first smartphone, is introduced to the world. The first ever text message was sent on December 3rd, 1992. The top song of the year was End of the Road by Boys to Men. And Barry Bonds signs the highest single-year contract in MLB history with the Pittsburgh Pirates for $4.7 million. The Jewish community has changed just as much as our lives have. For one, similar to many other institutions and society in general, the Jewish community has become far more accepting. Whether this is in terms of difference of opinion on certain issues or on the diversity of Jewish communities, the Jewish community seems, to most, a far more welcoming environment. Rabbi Tobit Spitzer speaks on the differences that she's observed over these past 30 years. And when I got to Boston, I would go to the Mass Board of Rabbis meetings. I would be one of maybe two or three women rabbis. I was certainly the only out gay or lesbian rabbi. Um, and the idea of a rabbi of color wasn't even on the you know, it wasn't even on anybody's radar at that point. Um, you know, and so, you know, fast forward 25 years and, you know, except for the Orthodox community, every synagogue has one or more female rabbis, probably, you know, including senior rabbis. Um, the biggest temple in New England, you know, Temple Israel in Boston has a female rabbi that would have been unheard of 25 years ago. Um I'm certainly far from the only queer rabbi, you know, we have black rabbis, you know, Asian. So, you know, it's, so I think just the, the demographic spread is, has been, is the, the shift of, and what you see in the leadership, it means it's happening in leadership. It's happening, you know, just the increase in, you know, black and brown folks in our, in our communities, more, you know, Asian folks. So I think that there's that just like how, what we look like. A changing community doesn't mean a declining one. In fact, if anything, the Jewish community has flourished over the past three decades. Judaism is adapting and changing with the times. It's become incredibly compatible with the fast-paced lives that we all live. More and more people are finding ways to apply Judaism to a modern lifestyle. Rabbi Spitzer speaks on this. 72% of non-Orthodox Jews are intermarried. And I mean, that's a radical change from 50 years ago or even 25 years ago. One, one, I remember one thing that came out of the Boston population study, a number, like, I don't know, five or six years ago, maybe even a decade ago, was um, a much higher, compared to other cities, 
a much higher percentage of intermarried families in Boston were raising their children Jewish. And, and I think that spoke to a lot of great programming we have here that instead of intermarried families being like, okay, you've made, you know, you've married a non-Jew, you're outside the community. There was a much more emphasis on, on, on outreach and inreach and, and education, um, which I think has helped prove that in, in, our, in our synagogue is a good, you know, good example. Like just because one parent isn't Jewish doesn't mean they're not going to raise their kids Jewish. You know, you can have a Jewish family when one parent's not Jewish, if there are two parents. So um, that's been a change on the one hand, more intermarriage, but also that doesn't mean the death of the Jewish community. As a Jewish high school student living in Boston, I can admit that it's often hard to find time for Judaism. Saturday morning baseball practices and Friday night games make it difficult to go to synagogue, and sometimes hard to sit down for Shabbat dinner with my family. Multiple years in a row, I was given a hard time by teachers for missing two days of school for the high holidays. I sometimes feel as though my life is simply too busy. But I make a conscious effort, even if it's five minutes a day, for self-reflection. I see many of the current issues and conflicts in the world through a Jewish lens and find myself applying Jewish values to problems that I encounter in my everyday life. I was even surprised when I offhandedly mentioned the phrase tikkun olam in one of my classes, and my classmates didn't know what I was talking about. I oftentimes feel almost an obligation as the descendant of those who were persecuted so strongly for their identity and their religion to continue my Jewish practices. It's simply unrealistic to think that the Jewish community will not continue to change over the coming years. But I am confident in the fact that it will bring the same light and comfort to us as it always has. Production of Schlepping Up to Boston is made possible by the Senior Capstone Research Program at Boston Latin School, supported by Sydney and Deanna Wolk and their family. Special thanks to interviewees and contributors Steve, Allen, and Carol Sugarman, Professor Jonathan Sarna, Jeremy Burton, Professor Saul Gittleman, Rabbi Toba Spitzer, Ms. Judy Freeman, Jeff Michaelitis, and Ms. Alyssa Frank. Thank you to all who have made this project possible and contributed to my efforts. This has been one of the most transformative and fascinating experiences of my life, and is the result of over a year of hard work. Thank you for listening to Schlepping Up to Boston. <laughs>